now. Record is pushed. Ditto. <clears throat> All right. Will you start us off? <clears throat> All right. Sounds good. <clears throat> you turn around the corner and you encounter a pack of goblins. No, 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 no goblins. Uh, uh okay. Um, all right. So, a uh, pack of orcs. Absolutely not. No orcs. I thought you understood. Understood what? We want to be evil. So we only want to kill good guy monsters. You realize that as an evil party, you can kill whatever you want, but whatever. Okay, so then you round the corner and you see a serpent-like creature with gold shimmering scales. I said no evil stuff. A snake creature is totally evil. It's a guardian naga. It's good aligned. Look, see, in, in the book, right here. Oh, well, can can we do something else? Because uh, my character doesn't like snakes. This time on Becoming DM, we continue our series of My Favorite Monsters, talking about good guy monsters. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And before we begin, we want to let you in on a little contest that we are kicking off right about now. Um, the winner of the contest is going to get a 34 and a half inch by 48 inch battle mat uh, made by Mealy Mats. Um, and it's really cool. It's it's nice and large. So when you're drawing out your your battles and stuff like that, if you're playing in person, it's it takes up a, a good portion of the table, and you can do a really nicely sized uh, map. If you want to enter, all we need is your ideas. Uh, go to becomingdm.com/ideas and submit an idea. So each uh, unique episode idea uh, is an entry into the contest for you to get to win the map, right? Absolutely. But entries must be for topics that haven't been covered yet by us. Oh yeah, we can't just like go, "Oh, I want to have a uh I want to I want to have a my favorite monster episode." Well, cuz we already do those. So, let's pick something else, something new. This is a way to kind of expand what we're doing in the show and hear kind of what you want to want to hear about uh from us. While also rewarding someone with a but with a battle mat. So if you're thinking about entering or if you're on the fence, uh, the thing to know is that there will be a one in 50 chance to win this battle map. So uh, once we get as soon as we get to 50 ideas submitted, we'll do the drawing and and whoever the winner is, will get that uh, battle map sent directly to them. So uh, go to becomingdm.com slash ideas, submit your ideas now. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you want us to hear, what, uh, what you want to hear us talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's a one in fifty per idea. So yeah, you can have more than one idea. Yeah. So if you like, just have have this pent up ideas for things to do uh, episodes on, and you like wanted to submit five episode ideas. Well, hey, that that immediately increases your chance to like what is that one in ten? Hey, that those are pretty good odds. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so let's let's move on. Uh, as as we said in the intro, this is the continuation of our every so often series, my favorite monster, and this time we're talking a little bit differently. Usually, we talk about kind of specific monsters that most parties are going to tackle and stuff like that, but this time we are talking about good aligned monsters. And even though um, 
even though we've had discussions about alignment in the past and some people may not have alignment on their game, there are still some monsters in the system that whether you use alignment or not, people are just going to think of as as good. Uh, and and one of those I think we we solidly have in that camp. One of them is, is less so. Uh, but <laughs> we are talking about those good aligned monsters because sometimes your party does want to be evil. And as we... S- to kind of outlined in the intro, sometimes they are not, uh, their mind is not open enough to understand that being evil doesn't mean that you have to just kill good people. You can kill whoever you want as long as it, it uh, moves your own motivations forward, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Evil evil things just kill everything. <laughs> what is that? Uh, no honor among thieves? That kind of, I'm not saying that thieves are evil, but, you know, basic premise. <laughs> um. And, and, but sometimes you might also need uh, a, a good line and maybe just because you want to have like a, a creature that the players are going to protect. We're primarily going to be focused on the other one. We're, we're looking to, to, to kill the monster. And, and so we're going to talk <laughs> about tactics of how to use these in battles, just like we do on, on our other My Favorite Monster episodes. So let's go ahead and get kicked off. And we're going to talk about unicorns. And, and Danielle, I'd like for you to maybe... Uh, start us off with kind of talking a little bit about the overall description of unicorns. All right. The initial description of a unicorn, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people can kind of picture it. Um, and that's what, that is one of the benefits, in my opinion, about using the unicorn, is that when you say it, people know what you're talking about. Not like when you're like furblorg. Blorg, <laughs> and nobody knows what that is. But this is a unicorn, and so it's a magical or celestial beast. Um it's it's a horse with a with a unicorn with a unic horn uni horn, <laughs> so a single horn on top of his head. One horn um, coming out of its head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it. I think. I think. I'm not sure. But are they always white? I feel like they should just always be like pure snow white, just beautiful, lustrious. I mean, uh, magical beings. It, unless you like are into My Little Pony, and then they've got they've got all color of <laughs> of unicorn. You're just, from the person who has not, lots of nieces that uh, that for at one point in time liked unicorn, uh, liked uh, My Little Pony. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that would do it. Um, but not that not the knowing exactly what they look like is going to matter too much because unicorns are actually super elusive creatures. And uh, not often seen unless they're actively protecting their, their, like, their land. Like, they have, every unicorn has, like, the place that it lives and the place that it protects. And it, it becomes a good place because the unicorn lives there. And then they protect it from evil because that's what they do. Um, furthermore to that, because that's what they do, uh, they will shun you. They, like, they typically. Um, if you're not, like, good aligned, they, they don't like non-good things around them that's against everything that their every horse fiber in their body is against it and if you look in the rules of pathfinder they're even more selective it's not just that you have to be good is that they they prefer to hang out with good aligned fey creatures good aligned humanoid women and woodland animals so like if you're a good guy, uh, you're out of luck here, dude. <laughs> Unicorn just don't want to hang. <laughs> yeah, so it, it like interesting little thing there. You could obviously easily apply that lore to your to your D and D game if you wanted to leverage the same stuff, or if you just wanted to say they really only care about good aligned stuff. You could go that route as well. Um, 
let's kind of jump a little bit into the basics of this creature, the statistics and stuff like that. So again, we're talking primarily D&D and Pathfinder first edition here. Uh, maybe one day I'll buy the books for Pathfinder second edition and we'll start talking about them. <laughs> but for now, D&D and Pathfinder first edition. Um, so the challenge rating for D&D is a five, uh, where Pathfinder is a three. And Normally, we don't see a huge discrepancy between the two games on on the similar monsters that they have, but this is this is one of those. Um, across the board, they have fairly good stats. I think everything is is above ten, uh, but their primary kind of high stats are going to be strength, wisdom, and charisma, and that's going to come into play later when we talk about um, when we talk about some of the tactics that you use and and why. Uh, why they do certain things in battle, especially that wi- that high wisdom score. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when we talk about special abilities, we'll jump in with D&D first. And, and Danielle, um, since you uh, run more D&D than I do, I'm going to have you kind of start off with what their special abilities in D&D are. You betcha. So the first, and I've, I feel like pretty obvious, if you, ha- if you have a horn strapped to the top of your head and you're a giant four-legged creature, um, powerful charge is uh, an ability that unicorns have. Um, so it gives it extra damage if it moves at least 20 feet. Um, you know, picture just it ramming you with the top of its head and it's got a big spike there. I, I feel um, like they missed the boat and they should have really called this like ultra poke or something like ultra that. Poke. <laughs> <laughs> the pokiest of horses. Um, so they also have innate spell casting. Uh, so they, they are able to detect evil that's how they're able to be so rude to non-good things so they can detect evil and good um they've got druid cat druid craft pass without a trace um calm emotions for you know those upsetting days you just head to the forest hang out with a <laughs> unicorn uh they can dispel evil and good and they can entangle so you know that's uh keep you nice and calm in the forest they've got magical resistance and and that's going to give them advantage on their uh, saving throws against those magic spells that that allow a saving throw. So throwing a fireball, always handy to have. Yeah, throwing a fireball <laughs> at that unicorn. Well, they get to have a, a, an advantage on their on their uh, on their dexterity saving throw to dodge out of the way. <laughs> Definitely, and and they have magic weapons. So their horn counts as a magical weapon because that is, I believe, the source of their divine power. Right? Yeah, uh, and in D anD D, the the hooves actually count as magic weapons as well. Uh, where okay. in in Pathfinder, it is just the uh, the horn, as we'll talk about here in just a minute. I was reading somewhere also that it, I'm not sure which system it was. I didn't get that far into it, um, but they can also have like regional effects that will just basically prevent like a fire from happening in their area. Hmm. Yeah. I... So uh, that is something that you could also throw in there. It's it's. It might not be a common thing, but why not? They're magical creatures. Yeah, uh, and, and if as long as it goes towards the flavor of what you're doing with the unicorn, I think it's okay. I don't think being able to stop a fire in the area that they're in is terribly game-breaking, but it does it does lend them to be kind of the protector of that forest kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I really like like that that flavor of it because you can also mess with your pcs too because they're like trying to start a fire well you can't start a fire tee <laughs> um but, but uh, obviously this is a horse so they do have multiple attacks uh they've got one with the hooves one with the horn 
Um, they And because their horn is magical, they can do healing touch, uh, which is three times per day. Touch with the horn heals a creature 2d8 plus 2. Yeah, and, um, and the important thing there is it is a physical touch with that horn. It's not like they're across hundreds of yards away and like, I heal thee. Uh, <laughs> it does require them to physically touch the person that they want to heal. And that that ability is just for others. They can't heal themselves with that. Well, how would they poke themselves with it? <laughs> That's right. It's all the poke. Um, they can also teleport once per day, right? Sure can. Um, which is an awesome ability, especially when you are protecting, say, an entire forest. Um, but they have that that sense evil, right? And so with that teleport ability, they could just zoop themselves right to where the bad guys are. Yeah, um, or which, which or away if the bad party. guys are too much for them. So, ah, protect the forest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they do also have legendary actions. Um, so, they've got three separate actions: hooves, which is they can make one attack with their hooves. Uh, they also have shimmering shield, which I think is interesting. Costs two actions though, of uh, of their three. Um, but the target gains plus two AC until the end of the unicorn's next turn. Now that's pretty expensive, I think, uh, for for the for what you're gaining there. Plus two AC. That's, but in terms of life saving, helpful. And heal self, so they might not be able to poke themselves with their horn, but they can use three actions to do heal self, and they can regain two d eight plus two hit points. Um, and that might be when they choose to do the teleport away from the bad guys. Yep. And 2d8 plus 2 may seem like a little low. I think that's somewhere around a third of the total hit points of, of the, the unicorn. So it's not really as, as bad as you might think if you take the average. Um, but you you do have to kind of play it and determine what you as the unicorn would think would be the best course of action at at, uh, at that point in the battle. Yeah, not only for you, but for your forest or yeah. whatever it is that you happen to be protecting. It doesn't need to be a forest. Yep. Um, but that's, I think that that's most of the base um, information on the unicorn and D&D. What about Pathfinder? Yeah, so we'll see that there's there's a lot of commonalities between the two rule sets, um, just maybe implemented a little differently. So uh, they have powerful charge, which is just like the, the charge that we talked about, being able to run and do additional damage. In this case, it's 2d8 plus 8. I think in the D&D version, it was just 2d8. Um, they do have spell-like abilities. They have detect evil. Uh, no detect good, because you don't need to detect good. You can just see it. Uh, <laughs> um, light, uh, they've got cure light wounds three times a day, so that that uh, corresponds to the ability that we saw in D&D. Um, cure moderate wounds once a day, um, greater teleport once a day, as well as neutralize poison. So a few things that are, are, are pretty similar there, some things that are different. And then beyond those kind of spell-like abilities, they have uh, a magic circle against evil. Um, this is basically a I want to uh, it it's it mimics a the the spell, and but it it can't be suppressed by the unicorn. It's always active and it always duplicates the effect of the spell every turn. So it's it's always a magic circle of evil around a uh, circle against evil around the unicorn. Uh, it also has, as we mentioned, the the horn is a is considered a magic weapon, 
and it has wild empathy, uh, which works like the druid's wild empathy skill, but it, it has a, a, a plus six racial bonus in addition to that. So that's Absolutely. pretty much your kind of special abilities there with, uh, with the unicorn and pathfinder. So moving on, resistances and immunities are fairly similar between the two systems. Um, in D&D, we've got immune to poison, uh, as well as immune to the charmed, paralyzed, and poisoned conditions. And in Pathfinder, we have immer- immune to charm, compulsion, and poison. So a little bit different, but very similar thematically with what we're trying to trying to get through there. Yeah, you can't you can't make the unicorn dance. I don't know. What, what you can't you make the unicorn love you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I would com- try to compel a unicorn to do, but there's a lot of stuff that my party does that I would have never thought <laughs> I'd ever hear somebody say anyways. So um, I guess a good rule. <laughs> <laughs> so, so oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about how we how we use the unicorn in, in a campaign. I think the first place is how we might encounter them and from... From what we've been talking about, it should come as no surprise some of the ways that you would encounter. I think first off is that your party just happens to be traveling in the unicorn's territory or forest. And if they're evil aligned, the the unicorn could attack them to drive them out of the forest or kill them, uh, which I guess would technically drive them out of the forest as well. (laughs) Uh, If good aligned, the unicorn could maybe give them shelter if they're they're trying to escape uh, pursuit by evil people, right? I like I like that uh, good aligned thing, right? Because I always kind of picture like a party running away, like they're being chased. Um, they got into a battle that they couldn't fight, maybe planned intentionally by you, and they're running away into this forest to try and like hide or find safety, and they're being chased by something evil, and the unicorn can detect evil and is there to rid their forest of evil. And so your party runs in there and they're like, "Oh no, how are we going to get away?" And you can just have a unicorn literally teleport in. And just raffle stomp the bad guys. <laughs> right? Yeah, and and I mean, there there's like, and it's it's a it's a thing in a lot of fantasy type movies and 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 stuff that that people have seen before. So it makes complete sense when that unicorn just happens to jump in and start kicking people around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Another another encounter is is maybe the party is evil aligned and hunting for unicorns. And we've seen this in, uh, I want to say, like the movie Legend, uh, maybe The Last Unicorn, um, and probably others where, where um, the lore in those movies, as well as the lore that's explained in, in Pathfinder, is that... Uh, the horn of the of the unicorn has magical properties, and in fact, in in Pathfinder, they give a price for the for the unicorn horn of like sixteen hundred gold. So, obviously, if if people know where a unicorn happens to be residing, then there's there's some some uh, non do gooders that uh, that might want to go out and and get themselves a unicorn horn. And those non do gooders may be your party. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like um, it's a quest that you can impart upon them, like hey, there's rumors that there's a unicorn here because if you know that they're already embarking on this evil, evil uh, path, then 
then that's just something that you can feed to them as a as a potential potential quest line. Whether the unicorn's actually there or not is entirely up to you. <laughs> you know, I've never I've never actually ran with an evil party. And I'm not like I know how I present quests to a good party. I'm like, oh, this evil doer is doing evil. Go unevil them, <laughs> right? But how how do you assign quests to like an evil party? Are you like, oh, there's some some little old lady in a hut out there who's who's feeding kittens? <laughs> <laughs> Must be stopped. I mean, there's you can do it in this in a similar way to to the way that that you do with the with the good quest. It's just a matter of the the features of the quest that you highlight might be different. And I think this this actually might be something that we talk about in a future episode of of running a game for an evil party because there are things that come into play there that um, that you do have to make sure you understand how to how to deal with and then also you need to make sure to explain to your players but i, I think we're getting way off topic there yeah i'm sorry <laughs> um we, but it is a it is something that we will come to revisit on a, on a future episode so um yeah let's jump kind of into uh, into tactics for unicorn how they're going to fight if if they do actually get into a, a battle with with the evil characters or, or whatever uh, danielle you want to kick, kick kick us off here well, we do know that they are fast. Not only are they fast because they are horses, um, but they can also, again, teleport, um, which, you know, gives them the ability to get right in there. Uh, but they also do have really low AC um, because they are just a horse. Well, they're a magical horse, but whatever. Um, so unicorns are more likely to, or actually better suited to just kind of like do the charge, hit, run, repeat, right? So they'll just like fly in, gouge somebody, fly out. Well, I shouldn't say fly. Because um, <laughs> that's, that's close, but a different out. They'll gallop in, um, you know, charge somebody, do the uber poke, the ultra poke, um, <laughs> and then run away and, you know, just kind of keep swooping back because they do have that speed advantage um, over most things, unless they happen to be fighting a centaur or something. Um, but they also have a really, really high wisdom, um, which means that they're not, they're not just like a frog eating bugs. They're smart enough to look at the fight and kind of be able to discern what their best course of action would be. Um, you know, like when they should or shouldn't get involved in, in a fight or even when they should leave and teleport away. Yeah, because even though they're protecting the forest, they also know that if they're dead, they can't protect the forest. So <laughs> so it's kind of that discretion is the better part of valor. I, I would say that um, that uh, if you get past, and it's kind of you as the DM, I would say get past that two-thirds of the hit point gone mark. That's kind of where I would start looking at it. Um, that's probably when they're going to start thinking about I got to get out of here because if I don't, I'm not going to be around to protect the forest um, that long anymore. So I got to get. Um, so, and, but if they do choose not to fight, they can use that superior speed to escape. And uh, in, in D&D, the speed is 50 and Pathfinder at 60. So um, with, especially with most, most uh, players starting speeds and even after they've advanced some their speeds that's still pretty much going to be faster than than most of the players yes there's some there's some stuff with monks and other things that can increase your speed pretty substantially but that's one out of the entire party so 
Mm-hmm. Especially when you consider that these are CR, what, five and three. Yep. And so you're not going to be engaging these unicorns. It's unlikely that you're going to be engaging these unicorns in a fight when you're like level 15 and you have access to all of these awesome speed boosting things. Right. Um, that would just be a little bit probably boring. <laughs> <laughs> and in and, and like a really big way, they um, they can, if they're... If they're really trying to avoid death or they're getting beaten badly in, in battle, they can just use that teleport out. If, as long as they didn't use the teleport in, you can just use the teleport out to, to get away. And then in addition to getting away, the party doesn't really know where they've gone. So they have to kind of resume their search again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, if you're teleporting, it's not like they're not going to be able to use survival skills and like the various ranger druid skills to literally track them. Um, because there are no physical tracks. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there's some sort of magical way, like scrying or something, but it would definitely hamper their um, pursuit. Yep. And uh, one thing I do like to talk about, especially when we when we have a such a well defined uh, ethos for for the for the the creature, is who they're going to attack first, because their their wisdom is high. They are good aligned, and we've got some, at least on the Pathfinder side, we've got some knowledge that that um, they like the good fae, they like uh, good aligned women, they like woodland creatures. And so my thought is if you've got a party of mixed stuff, they're obviously going to start with the evil folks first. And my thought is they're going to start with the evil men first because they <laughs> they don't they don't have a, an affinity towards good alignment. So evil alignment mu- must be like way down on their list of, of people I don't like uh, or way up on their list, however you want to say that. And and then beyond that, the evil women. Um, and then and then you can move on to the the less good aligned, the neutrals and stuff like that, or or the good aligns that happen to be attacking them for some reason. Um, in, uh, in D&D, uh, because they have that magical resistance, they also probably would target spellcasters last because the the spell there's less of a chance for effect um, from the spells on them, but uh, because they don't have that in Pathfinder, they may just choose where they where it's going to be easiest to hit and run tactically. So, run around the party, come up out back, hit the spellcaster, run away, see where the party goes, and then like find the find the person that's off on their own and and hit and run kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And also keep in mind, like from my perspective, if if the unicorn is trying to protect its land uh, specifically from evil things and maybe only half of your party is technically evil aligned, yep. the unicorn might just come in off those guys and then run off. And it because it doesn't necessarily want to want to um, rid the forest of non-evil players. Right. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it depends on what and it may come in, kill those evil evil characters and then leave and then watch the party to make sure they're not uh they don't have nefarious intent and if they do then come in and kill the rest of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And moral dilemma, little quest idea I just thought of a prisoner transport through a unicorn's forest where Ooh. you have to protect the prisoner from the unicorn, but you're a good person and the <laughs> unicorn's good. <laughs> Nice. So, yeah, there's that. All right.
Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a, a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. All right, I think we've done uh, done service to the unicorn, so let's move on to our next one. Um, and I'll, I'll kick this one off. It, we, we kind of alluded to it in our little intro skit, but we're talking about the Guardian Naga. Um, and the Guardian Naga is kind of like a snake-like body with this weird, weird-looking head, humanish head, but with the with the fans of a cobra around the head. It's kind of creepy looking. Um, <laughs> and... and and the guardian naga is one of the, I think, one or two nagas, which are all like these snake-like creatures. Um, one of the two, I think, that are good aligned. So something to keep in mind, just because somebody sees a naga does not mean they're good. <laughs> uh, typically, they are going to be protector- protectors of something, uh, like a sanctuary, maybe an ancient treasure, maybe a current treasure where where they they feel it's worthy of their protection. Um so they can sometimes have generations that protect the same treasure. They can um, they can just find be wandering and find something that they feel is worthy of their protection and and start picking up on it. So and yeah, they're snake like and uh, and yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to mess with people too, especially since they're good aligned. Yep. Um, because I feel like a lot of parties would default to seeing snake creature and just assume that it's evil. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, which could lead to some interesting things. But these guys, they do hit hard. I believe there's CR 10 in both systems, D&D yep. and Pathfinder. Yeah. So if you've got a higher level adventure, this might be a, a great uh, a great way to introduce a creature that that they probably haven't dealt with before that is good aligned so it kind of gives even if they even if you've got a good aligned party to kind of throw a wrench into what again what they're thinking uh, where they might get themselves into trouble with a good aligned uh, creature because they made some assumptions yeah they can definitely get them into trouble (laughs) (laughs) and and these have high all across the board stats so i think 16 is the lowest stat that they have um in Pathfinder, I think the stats go up to 23. Uh, in D&D, they go up to 19, 20, something like that. Um, strength, wisdom, dexterity, and charisma are all uh, in their higher stats uh, that, are, that are on this creature. So lots of, uh, lots of versatility there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of nice when you get like those big heavy hitters because can, you can move them around a lot. Um, but they do. Ha- so these guys have a lot of special abilities. One that is super interesting and pretty unique. I think is pretty unique um, in D and D, anyways. 
uh, they can rejuvenate. So they've got rejuvenation. So if a naga dies, it returns to life in one to six days. Hey, not a big deal. <laughs> and the only way to stop it is by using a wish spell. Like you, like you can, that it says that the only way to stop it is to use a wish spell, which means that your party can chop this thing up into as many different little bits as it wants and spread it across the globe. It will return to life in one D six days. Yeah, and, and the rejuvenation is different than like a, a troll's regeneration where they're recovering hit points. This is where you kill it and it comes back. And so where this could be interesting, I think, is if you have a an area that they're protecting and it's a dungeon that the, that the party's going to explore and they go through and they kill this guardian Naga and they go through and the dungeon is massive and it takes them multiple days to like go through the dungeon. And when they come out, the guardian Naga is waiting there for them. And so they're already, (laughs) they're already depleted from fighting all these creatures and stuff. And then they come out and then this CR 10 monsters waiting for them to chop them up. (laughs) (laughs) And we know it's already mad at them. Yep. (laughs) Um, Uh, They can also do spell casting. They yep. had, I believe they count as an 11th level spellcaster. So they've got like tons of spells. That's, it's a, it's a pretty high level spellcaster, um, in my opinion. Um, but you'd have to go to obviously, you know, your reference books and, uh, I think the monster manual, they're on page 230, 234 yep. and you'll get a full list of all of the spells and everything that they've got, which is, and then you can always do crazy stuff with spells. You want to get jiggy with it. You just throw that in there. And they and they can also spit poison. So this is this is their primary ranged attack, which hits like a truck, poisonous <laughs> a poisonous truck for ten d eight damage, which is huge. Ten d eight. That's that's a that's a that's a that's eighty hit points if you roll max. Yep. And that's not saying that you get like a crit or something. Anyways, um, but so you can you can get a, a save for half damage, but even still, ten d eight. That's a lot. Yep. Um, now. <laughs> And Pathfinder, um, again, some some slight differences. Uh, they have a poison bite, and uh, the difference between Pathfinder and D anD D is the poison bite does con damage. And for those of Ooh. you who have tu- tuned into previous My Favorite Monster episodes, when we talked about the shadow, um, con damage is one of those things where if your con goes to zero, you're dead. There is no. Um, uh, stabilizing. There is no death saves if you're in D and D. Con zero means goodbye, character. We'll see you later, um, but probably not because you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that 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 is an interesting one. One d four con poison damage. There, um, they do have spell casting as a ninth level spellcaster, and they can cast spells from the cleric and spellcaster list. But if you look at page two twelve of the first bestiary they do have a list of prepared spells that you can use or if you really want to like go crazy you can you can prepare your own spells for them um and they also have the ability to um to spit poison up to 30 feet as a ranged touch attack and so um, the poison does the same 1d4 con damage so it's not doing a lot of hit point damage to the to the players but it can really have a, a dramatic impact especially for those Maybe spellcasters where they use con is a not maybe not a dump stat but a second to dump stat, and uh, and so you you hit them a couple of times and you roll fairly good and and they're pretty close to uh, not being alive anymore. 
Anytime anything hits basically any ability score, you could just you just start thrashing players. And yep. especially constitution, because as your constitution goes down, um your hit points go down like with it. And your and your saving throws go down as well. So mm-hmm. if you fail your saving throw for poison, your con goes down. It reduces your saving throw. You take another hit from poison. Now you have to you have to roll even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not it's not an easy thing to fix. Like when you have constitution damage or something, it's like if I have normal damage, somebody can run up. Like a cleric can just do a drive by and be like, boop, you know, you're healed, and yep. that's fine. Uh, but when you have ability damage, that's that's not something that, you know, your cleric's just got like six spells in their back pocket to deal with. Yeah, and uh, and you only heal one, uh, one of those stat points per day. So if you lose six con points, you're talking about six days of recovery. So Yeah, you're going to be um, a tired panda. Yep. <laughs> All <laughs> right, so let's move on to the resistance and immunities. And this is what I find interesting in D&D. They are immune to poison and the conditions of charmed and poison. Uh, Pathfinder, there, there are none. I, I do find it interesting a, a creature that uh, that revolves around venom to attack their enemies is not um, immune to poison. That is interesting. Maybe they were like kind of digging into that poison versus venom thing. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe like uh, I don't know, but I I see what you mean. A lot of times when you have a poisonous creature, they're they're immune to poison because it, I feel like that just makes sense. Uh, and honestly, if you're playing Pathfinder, you can certainly throw that in if it makes sense to you too. Yep. Because um, with the D and D one, it says uh, they're immune to the conditions of being charmed. But like, if somebody had a flute and they wanted to do a snake charming thing on it, I'd be inclined to let them try. Yeah. Well, so they have a high enough intelligence. They can speak uh, languages. They can speak celestial and common. So you can also just talk to them and try to convince them to do something. Um, use your uh, <laughs> use your wily use your charisma words. ways. Use your words, <laughs> players. Use your words. Now I want to play my flute. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on to how to use the the guardian naga in in uh in, in in your game and start off with talking about encounters. I feel like because they're pretty much found guarding sites um that the thing that makes the most sense here is to have the party searching for an ancient artifact or a holy site or or something like that and you've got one or more guardian nagas uh um that are protecting it. I I think that's probably the easiest. I don't know if you had any other ideas for stuff to throw out there. The only other one that I could really think of is because they they could protect an artifact, right? Um, If you did want to implement Guardian Nagas maybe out in the wild, you know, you'd want it to have them kind of roaming monsters. Um, You could have somebody had already stolen that ancient artifact, and this Guardian Naga is actually chasing or hunting that person. Oh, that's a a good thought. The other thing to, uh, to bring up, is just because they're guarding somewhere does not mean that it has to be this posh-looking place. It could be ruins, uh, because as we mentioned earlier, some guardian nagas will, from generation to generation, continue guarding the same location. And so if nobody took, no naga took the the time to think about, do we really need to be here anymore? Um, It's this broke-down ruin well, maybe they're still there, <laughs> and and you're coming to the ruin just thinking it's like this place that 
like is fallen into disrepair and you're just exploring it, but you've got this guardian Nog out front being like, nope, you can't come in. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from my ruins. <laughs> um, <laughs> so some of the tactics um, that you might use as they speak common and they are highly intelligent and, and have good wisdom and I, by highly, they've got at least a 16 intelligence. Um, they, I would say that they're probably going to try to speak to the party to warn them off of entering the area that they're coming into uh, before engaging them in combat um, um, using 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 their words. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially uh, if when they encounter them, your party's not doing anything that's like overtly destructive at the time. Yeah. Again, use your you use your your brain and and understand what they are are or are not likely to do based upon what the party's doing. But if they're just approaching down the road, um, it it's pretty reasonable for them to say, "Yeah, you, you can't go here. You got to move on. Uh, no, nobody can come in here." Rather than mm-hmm. just attacking them for no reason because they they just happen to be walking in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> um. I also think from a from a tactics perspective, uh, because they are protecting a specific location or a specific artifact, I would say that they are unlikely to flee unless it gives them some sort of near-term tactical advantage. Um, but I, I don't think that they're going to leave the whole site unprotected unless they have a plan to come back and 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 take get higher ground or or, or have a have a bigger advantage in the in the combat that's to come. Yeah, I feel like they would need some sort of really good reason to, especially since they've they've like their character or not their character, but their creature base is protector of the thing, right? Yep. And so they're not going to be like, oh, they have two swords. Ah, never mind. Uh, it wasn't worth sitting here for fifty years. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would say that like if you're playing the D and D Guardian Naga. They technically can't die, uh, except for that one very, very niche case of having the wish spell. So they don't really fear death. I mean, if I'm going to come back up in one to six days, yeah, bring it on. I'll I'll fight to the death. <laughs> and they're so as a result, I feel like they're more concerned about the defilement of the of the site that they're protecting rather than the rather than the safety and well being of their life. Yeah, so they'll they'll try to fight smart. Obviously, they don't want to die because in those 1d6 days, somebody could take the artifact or do a lot of damage or yep. whatever. Um, but they're definitely not going to to um, flee from the battle for the, for the sole purpose of saving their life. They're going to stay. They're going to protect the site and uh, do everything that they can. Well, the site, the item, whatever, um, to the best, to the absolute best of their ability. Yep. Um. And we've talked about the fact that they're smart, intelligence 16, wisdom 19. Uh, with those high mental stats, I think that they should also be able to uh, evaluate the party that's coming to attack them and understand what the weak links might be. Weaklings, weak links. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and where their attacks might do the most damage. So uh, we've been talking about poison and that con damage. Um, Looking at those those people that might be weaker, might be more susceptible to to an attack by poison, venom, whatever we're calling. I think we're pathfinders. We're calling it venom. Those that don't, that might be more susceptible that that will uh, getting into the mechanics be more likely to fail their saving throws uh, when it comes to when it comes to that. And I, I think that's 
perfectly reasonable. I mean, you can kind of look at a group and be like, oh, that that one looks like the runt. <laughs> oh, absolutely you can. You don't you don't look at like a whole party of adventurers and be like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to go toe to toe with that one dude in the who's covered in metal from head to toe uh while everybody else hits me and I die. No, I'm just probably just going <laughs> to slowly kill the party. Like they're walking through the jungle and just keep disappearing like that kind of thing. Yep. Um and they have a 40-foot a speed, and, I, I mean, you could maybe try a little bit of hit and run, but by the time you're encountering CR-10 monsters, I don't think that's really a valid tactic. Um, instead, what I would say is that they may... Um, here we go. Are you ready? Spit and run. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> <laughs> where where they where they come up within within range of their spit attack, um, they spit and then they they back off to try and keep keep their distance from the party while still doing ranged uh, ranged poison attacks. <laughs> yes, um, it would be a great idea. <laughs> I'm not over it yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just came up with that, and I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> you should be. That was good. That was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the other thing is that the Nagas, they also have dark vision, um, so they might choose to just off the party quietly at night when uh, uh, maybe not everybody can see them, you know, lower yep. the chances that one of the parties, you know, going to get a couple of those... Well, especially with ranged, right? Yep. Because if if the most of the bad guys can't see you and you just start drenching them with poison from forty feet away, um, yeah. What are they gonna do? <laughs> <I just. laughs> You're still thinking about spit and run. Yeah, uh, yeah, I am. I was gonna, I was gonna say it, and I was like, no, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> Um, I, I think that's what we wanted to talk about, about the, the Guardian Naga. I, I do think we should probably wrap this up with with this bit of advice. Uh, we've been talking about good creatures as things to put your, your, your evil players against. But as we said at the beginning, the, the creatures don't have to be evil. Part of, part of being in an evil party is you are doing things selfishly for your own goals. So it doesn't really matter who you're killing. You're just killing the people that help you attain the goals that you need to you need to get. Whether they're evil or good makes no real difference. But if you do have if you do have a group that is really hung up on we want to kill some 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 good guy good guy monsters, um, these are a couple of options. I will say I I was flipping through the 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 monster manual i don't know if you've done this danielle there are not a lot of good aligned creatures in that thing <laughs> there's there's not a whole lot like if you're looking for like a lower end creature something maybe lower than the uh than the unicorn i think you'd be looking for like a flump maybe yes yes and then if you want something bigger than the naga i think you got to jump straight up to a dragon uh, or angels are are we're angels. Yep. Yeah, they both sound super super easy to one v one. But if you do have a group that is is uh, wanting to play the evil people and kill the good people, uh, best of luck to you. 
<laughs> there, are, <laughs> there are some bridges that you'll need to cross in those cases. And we'll talk about those in a future episode of Becoming DM. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, stay nerdy, stay friends. Stay nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.